So uh, we are in this series, and I did not introduce it very well last week because my mind just didn't go there. Uh, So we are in this series called Full, and what we're doing is we believe that Jesus came to give us life and life to the full. And so we're talking about this idea of ways in which our life in which we can be full. Um, And and we started last week with thankfulness and gratitude and all of that. And the counter to that is now that we understand how blessed we actually are and how thankful and grateful we should be for the life that we give, um, how do we then use that in order to help other people? and to make this world a better place. So to start, uh, I want to tell you guys an ancient tale. It's an old Jewish proverb or um, kind of fable, and it's about this rabbi. And this certain rabbi, uh, he's on his way to a party one night. And so he goes to this party, and it's a holiday party, we'll say. And so, you know, the wine is flowing, and guys are drinking, and, you know, it's this good time for all to have. And then eventually, like all parties, uh, it comes to an end, the night ends, And so he's on his way home. Now, he's making this journey down this trail towards his his home. And and part of his journey home is that eventually he gets to this road that there's a fork in the road that leads to the left or to the right. Now, on a normal day, what he would know is that if he goes left, it's going to take him back to his village, back to his home where he can go to sleep and have a nice peaceful night. If he goes right, the problem is it's going to take him to a Roman garrison, a, a Roman kind of fort and outpost. Um, and he's going to have to deal with the Romans. And so um, he's walking down this road. And again, we've already established he's had a, maybe a couple too many to drink. And so he's walking down. He gets to the fork in the road and he makes his choice. And so this rabbi, he walks down this road for a little while. And shortly he finds himself standing at the wall of a Roman outpost, a place he should not have been, especially at that time of night, a dangerous place for him. And he gets to this wall, and all of a sudden, a Roman guard up on the wall shouts down to him. He says, who are you, and what are you doing here? And the rabbi freezes. A few moments go by, and the soldier calls down again to him. Who are you, and what are you doing here? And the rabbi says nothing. The third time, the soldier looks down, and He yells more aggressively at the rabbi, who are you and what are you doing here? And the rabbi takes a second to gather himself and he looks up at the soldier and he says, how much are they paying you to do this? How much are they paying you to say these words? And the soldier says, 100 denarii. And the rabbi says to the soldier, I will pay you double that to come to my house every morning and ask me that same question. Who am I and what am I doing? Who are you and what are you doing here? These are two of the most important questions that we can ask of ourselves. Who are we and what are we doing here? And I don't mean here like you made it to journey this morning. I mean like here, like in your life, like what are you doing with this life? Who, who are you? So today is going to be a little bit less about a sermon, a little bit more self-examination, and we're going to ask some questions, some uncomfortable questions for a few of us to answer this, who are we and what are we doing here? What are we doing with this gift we've been given, this life that we've been given? Jesus is teaching one day, and he's teaching his followers and his disciples, and people are kind of gathered around to kind of hear Jesus. There's crowds that kind of follow him, and, 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 and in this one teaching, he, he talks specifically to his followers, and he starts with this, and these won't be unfamiliar verses to most of us, but he starts with this initial premise, and he says this. He says, you, talking to his followers, his disciples, the people who have chosen to follow him, you are the light of the world. 
Now, earlier in the story of, of Jesus, specifically in the opening of John's gospel, um, there's this whole beautiful section about the idea of Jesus is the light of the world and that Jesus is, and his light can stand against the darkness. And now all of a sudden, Jesus is kind of ter- turning from that and he's kind of saying to his followers, you are the light of the world. It's a way of Jesus kind of explaining, and we'll see here in a second, to his followers that we are a reflection of the light that he is in this world, that we are supposed to be these lights of his. He goes on to say, you are a light of the world. A town on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So kind of a breakdown of this passage is a pretty simple concept. He says, you know, if you're traveling in their day and age and you'd build a city or a fort or a castle up on a hill, kind of give it yourself some elevation, some protection. But the other thing is there's light from that. And so you can see that from a long way off. Now we understand this illustration. If you're ever driving down 65 or a road and you're coming upon a big city, what you'll see before you ever even get close to the city, if you look in the sky, is you'll see kind of light. You'll see it lighter in the sky. They call this light pollution. And what it is, is there's so many lights in this area with all of these people that all of a sudden this light is kind of emitting and you can't help but think, oh, there's something there. And he's saying the same way. If you build this town, you can't hide it if if there's lights in this town. He says, neither do a people light a lamp Okay, to illuminate so that you can see in your house so that you can see everything and then put a bowl on top of it, right? That would make no sense, right? Because you, you lit the candle, you, you did this light so that you could see. So to put something on top of it that can no longer now allow that light to illuminate and to help doesn't make any sense. And so he says, in the same way, let your light, the light that you've been given through Jesus, shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So what Jesus is saying essentially is this, that that we are called to be a light in a dark world. That as you reflect the ways in which he's working in your life and this light that he's given to you, then you illuminate that light for other people to see. And so here's the tough question, right? Are you, am I a light in the world that we find ourselves. Are you a light in your community? Are you a light in your family? Are you a light in your school? Are you a light in your workplace? Would people be tempted? So what does light do? They may not use the words, oh, you're a light. But what a light does is a light exposes. A light makes us be able to see, to move forward. A light helps us. Would these be words that people might use to describe you? Or I think for a lot of us, what we've done is we've convinced ourselves that being the light of the world is something that happens during an hour-long service on the weekends. Like the temptation for all of us is to believe that we're actually being the light right now. And I'm not saying that's a part of the journey, but I don't think that's the total journey. I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about when he says to be a light in the world. Because here's the thing, and I hope you know this, um, in some ways we're playing out the action. If we're all a bunch of lights, um, the problem is, is that we're surrounded by walls so nobody can see the light. What he's talking about is that lights go into the dark places. And if we've convinced ourselves that being the light is just about something we do on a Sunday morning for an hour, I think, it's, I think it's actually bad news. And we're supposed to be good news. 
It's bad news for us, and it's especially bad for the world around us. Because the reality is, is that we live in a dark world. We live in people that are stumbling in the dark, trying to find their way in this life. There are people who have been oppressed. There are people who are depressed. There are people that are struggling. It could be a cold, dark, hard world for a lot of people. And then the belief that we have is that Jesus comes to give us hope and the grace and mercy and light and purpose and all of these things. And he's extended that invitation for us to now be extensions of that in the dark world that we find ourselves. So maybe what some of us have done, and I can only speak for myself, is that we've convinced ourselves that as long as you show up for one service, because that's tough, one service, and some of you go the extra mile and you actually volunteer another service, all right? And then you give your 10%, or let's be realistic, more like 1% to 3%, and I'm not judging, I get it, okay? And I learned something from the sermon that I can then use against somebody else to make them feel bad about themselves. And I smile at all the people who typically would annoy me and all of these things. And here's what happens. As long as on Sunday I'm illuminating that light, then Monday through Saturday I can just take that little... I can just take that little bowl and just set it right on top of that light. That can't be what Jesus is talking about. So you are the light of the world. He's addressing his followers. And then he says this, he says this, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except for to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So it's pretty obvious what light does, but let's explain what salt does. Now, we kind of know what salt does, but in their world, there's a lot of different uses for salt. For for one thing, they did not have refrigeration like we do today, so they could not preserve things. And so in, in the way we would, so normally what they would do is they would actually pack things in salt. They would encase things in salt to help make them last a little bit longer. So salt preserves things, things that are about to go bad. It keeps things better longer. The other thing is, we all know this, is just a little bit of salt makes things better, doesn't it? You ever grilled a steak and forget to put the salt on it? You might grill that thing as perfect as it's ever been grilled, but you forget to season that just a little bit, and it's not very good, is it? And so salt makes things better. So the question is, are we making things better? Would people actually say that that we're making things better? Are you as an individual, collectively as a body, are we actually making things better? Because that's what salt does. Salt preserves. Salt makes things last longer. Salt makes things better. And so are we doing this? Now, the reason I ask these questions is because Jesus makes these statements and says it's his followers, this is what we're supposed to be. And so this is who we are supposed to be. And then I think about like the bigger context of what Jesus is saying. And what's fascinating is if you study the gospels and you study kind of the, the, the life of Jesus in the three short years that we know about him, what's interesting is that whenever Jesus goes around and he's talking to people and he's helping people and healing people, um, People that were nothing like Jesus actually liked Jesus. People with all kinds of flaws and faults, people with all kinds of sin patterns, people who made all kinds of bad choices, people from different backgrounds. And in fact, people that from everybody else's perspective would be considered to be said walking in darkness were drawn to the light. 
the question is, are people still drawn to that light? That light that is now only not only the light of the world in Jesus and the hope that he gives us, but also as his people, the lights that we're supposed to be in this world. And so are we actually being who we're supposed to be? Are we being helpful in this mission? Are we helping to make the world, our community, a better place? Light is supposed to shine in the darkness. See, what we can often misunderstand is in a room like this, all right, it's very easy to shine your light here, isn't it? But light in a room full of lights doesn't have the same impact as light in a dark place. And it's not just, you know, this thing that it's not just on Sundays, but it's not just only, is it not just for Sundays that we are light in the world? Um, it's also who he's talking about. So you got to understand these group of people that are gathering around Jesus to hear these teachings, they come from different backgrounds. They have different abilities and levels. And, and so what Jesus isn't saying is that pastors are the light of the world. It's not what he's saying. Now, they are part of that, but it's not the whole. He's not saying missionaries are just the light of the world or teachers or scholars or philosophers. No, he says you are the light of the world, which means that you, yes, you, with your upbringing and background, with your strengths and weaknesses, with your dreams and your baggage, Jesus says, I can shine a light through you. Regardless of how you've tried writing yourself off in the path, according to Jesus, there's room for you in this mission of the church. There's room for you in this world and the light that you can shine. And you may not think you have much to offer, but it's just not true because when it comes to darkness, light wins every time. Do you guys ever take a field trip to Mammoth Cave when you were a kid? Do you guys know this place? If you don't, you live in Kentucky, you should go there. And so uh, it's this massive thing. It's this massive cave system that goes underneath our state. And so if you go on Mammoth Cave, if you go on this one tour, what happens in this tour is they take you down in this cavern and it's, they, there's these lights, these like lights along the way on these little string things. And they take you into this cavern and in a part of the tour, the tour guide turns all of the lights off. Now, if you've ever experienced this, it's dark. Like dark, so dark, it's disorienting because you can't see anything. You, you can't, I mean, you can put your hand as close to your face as you want. You're not seeing that sucker. And so there's this moment where it's almost disorienting. It's a little bit uncomfortable because it's dark. And then all of a sudden, the tour guide will take a small flashlight or when I was a child, they took a small lighter or a match, I think, and they just lit it up. And all of a sudden, this massive room illuminates, and you can see everything again with just a small light. The darker the space, the brighter the light can often become. And so these are the descriptions that Jesus gives his followers of how we're supposed to partner with him in this mission. And so how do we actually do that? Well, I think most of us probably know, but when it, Jesus talks about people who actually get him, um, he talks about people who choose, and it is a choice every day to kind of walk in step with who he is and what he's doing. The reality is, and I hope that you know this, is it's a choice that we make to follow. 
It's not just the one-off choice that we made when we got baptized, but to actually follow Jesus, to actually do what he did in the world, it's a choice. It's a choice to love. It's a choice to serve. It's a choice to offer grace. It's a choice to seek justice. It's a choice to embrace empathy. It's a choice to actually try to be helpful in this world, in the community you find yourself in, to actually be like Jesus. And so are we being helpful? Are we as individuals, again, but also collectively, are we being helpful? Jesus has this teaching that we've referred many times. And so the disciples asked Jesus how that they should pray, how they should commune with God, how they should interact with God in their prayer lives. And, and he gives this prayer, and we've even used some of it a couple weeks ago to talk about forgiveness. But there's this one line in the prayer where Jesus says, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what Jesus is talking about is that we live in such a way that we're inviting the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, down into this earth. We're inviting it as it is in the world it should be into this place that we find ourselves in where it's not as it should be. It's this beautiful idea of inviting a little bit of heaven into the world that we find ourselves in. A few years ago, we were talking about this idea and coming up with mission statements. And one of our staff members, they like this idea. And so they came up with this phrase, in Bullock County as it is in heaven, right? I hated it at first, right? But they loved it so much, they put it on the wall over there without even telling me, right? Okay, but the more I thought about the statement, the more I actually liked it. It's this idea that as a church, what we're trying to do is we're trying to invite a little bit more of the kingdom of God a little bit more into heaven. And when I say heaven, I don't mean the afterlife as much as I mean the idea of what God wants in his creation and in this world. We're inviting that into today, where we are here and now. The temptation is, is to dismiss a lot of this thinking because the temptation is to say things like, what can I actually do? Like how, how, I mean, it seems like this overwhelming thing and there's only so many of us and we only have so much time and talent and ability. So what do we do? So there's this amazing teaching that Jesus gives to his disciples. And so I'm going to give it to you. And so um, there's this point, it's like towards the end before he's about to go to the cross. And so he's talking to his disciples and he's kind of telling them some things and they're having a hard time believing some of this stuff. And it's starting to upset them because one of the things that he tells them is that he's about to leave. And so their kind of response is, well, that's not good because like this whole thing is you. Like we're just kind of here kind of following along, but you're, you're the deal, you know, you're the thing. And he tells them about to leave. So, so they get upset. And then Jesus even has this moment where he says like, here's what you don't understand is I have to leave because if I don't leave, things aren't going to get better. To which they're like, that doesn't make any sense because you're like it, right? Like you're the thing. Maybe that's the temptation that some of us believe. And I do think it's a temptation. I don't think what we're arguing is that it wouldn't be better if Jesus is here, but what we are arguing is that wasn't the plan that Jesus had in mind. Because what Jesus does is there's this language we see over and over again, like that we are the body of Christ, that we are the hands and feet. So what Jesus would be tempted to argue is, yeah, I'm, I'm leaving, but I'm not actually leaving because now you're here and you're my hands, you're my feet, you're the body of Christ. 
And, and so he assures them, he says, okay, so I have to leave. And when I leave, things are going to get better. But part of the reason it's going to get better is I'm going to give you a helper. You're, I'm going to give you this thing, the spirit that's going to live inside of you that will unite you, will unite us and will guide us. And then he says this line, and this is one of those lines that, that almost seems unbelievable, but listen to the language. He says this, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works, which sounds unbelievable when you think about everything that Jesus did. I mean, it was pretty incredible. And not only will we do the same works, but do even greater works. Because I'm going to be with the Father. What's interesting that I think we downplay and we've talked about before is what's interesting about this line of thinking is is it's very important that we believe in Jesus and the mission of Jesus. But it's also really important to understand that Jesus believes in us. That he believes the church, which is made up of the body of Christ, which is the individuals, us, that powered by the Holy Spirit, that he believes that we can actually do great things. We can do better things. That he believes in us. So how do we, how do, we do this? How do we become more helpful? How do we make it better? And, and here's what I think. I think the problem is this. The problem is we walk out, wake up every morning and we walk into a world and, and, and we might believe this, although most of us, let's be honest, are going to forget this by tomorrow. And, and so we wake up. And, and so what happens is the, the, the feeling is there's no opportunity. Here would be my argument. The opportunity is there. Every single one of us in this room, if you took 10 seconds to think about it, There's an opportunity for you to be helpful, to make somebody's life better. I mean, it wouldn't even take you that much time. Like you could come up with it. The opportunity is there. The question is, are you available? It's never an issue of opportunity. It's a question of availability. But because we're so busy or we're self-consumed, or let's just be honest, we're not often looking, we miss it. Now, I want to give you a couple of things, a couple of handles um, to help us understand this problem. So part of the reason is that we have struggled with this is this. For some of us, here's what we do. We are waiting for the perfect conditions. What we're doing, and we would never say this because it sounds weird. What you guys are doing is you're waiting for like the clouds to part and that ray of sunshine to like come down and specifically land on one person or one house. And you're like, there it is, Right. There's my help, okay? That's who I'm helping. That's what I'm making better. Okay, so we're waiting for the perfect conditions. Let me go ahead and tell you this. And I don't know if you know this about life or not, but it'll help you. If you waited for the perfect conditions to do anything, you would never do anything. There are rarely ever perfect conditions for anything in life that you do. But you want it bad enough, we'll figure it out, won't we? Listen, You've never waited for the perfect condition to make a dumb mistake, have you? It just finds you. And you're like, let's do that. Okay. So why do we do this when it comes to being helpful and to making it better? So part of the problem is we think we're always, we're just busy. And we are. If you've got kids, you're just busy. Like just 
Don't you have to stop saying, how are you doing? Busy. You have children, you're busy. I get it, okay? You're just busy. And, and, and so like, there's always gonna be busyness. There's always gonna be fires to put out. There's always gonna be things that you're going through and all of these things. So don't think you have to wait for the perfect conditions. Second reason, I think, for a lot of us is we're waiting for the perfect conditions. But even if the conditions came up, we don't think we have enough to offer, right? Like, for example, you know, I don't, I don't know about you, um, but when we have Nathan and Justy here, you know, like, and you think about what they're doing, okay? Like, stop and think about it. They're building hospitals in Africa. What have you done lately, right? And I'm not saying that to guilt you, okay? We love it when they're here. Don't tell Nathan I said that I love him, so just don't do it. But here, we, we do, like, we love it because we love what they're doing. And what, now, here's what I would say, though, and I think that they would agree. <clears throat> they didn't do it all at once, it was these small, small choices and small little steps that led to bigger choices and bigger steps. And they continued to be faithful to God because he was faithful to them. But it was these first couple steps. It's one step at a time. And all of a sudden now they're doing these amazing things. And so we don't, we don't think we have enough to offer because all we can think about is this big thing where in reality it's this one step at a time. And the other side of that is, here's the truth, we're not all called to go start a church in a town. We're not all called to go do hospitals in Africa. Some of us might be, but some of us, we're just called to go to our neighbor or to go to our family. And so the reality is, is you have plenty to offer. Because we don't think we have anything to offer, we don't think that we're needed. There are so many hurting people in this world. There are so many hurting people in this community. There are so many hurting people in your school. There are so many hurting people, and I hate to tell you this because it's going to ruin it for you. There are so many hurting people in this room. And so you're needed. You may have skill sets and gifts and, and all of these things. Listen, you might have access to people that I'll never have access to. Well, Jeremy will fix it. The pastors will fix it. The staff will fix it. You may have access to these hurting people that we're never going to get. And you may have a giftedness that they're just not going to get from me, right? Some people just need a hug. You think I'm offering that one every day, Right? <laughs> So you don't think you're needed. That's insane. Of course you're needed. You might, you see something that needs to be addressed. You might be the person that God is putting in place. I, I love this. I can't remember what book I read it in, but it just stuck with me over and over again. Did you know you might actually be the answer to someone's prayer? You keep pushing it off. You might actually be the answer. And then lastly, for some of us, we don't think that we can make a difference. I mean, there's so much. There's so many kids in need. There's so many families in need. There's so much poverty in the world. There's so much hatred and violence in the world. I, I can't even, if I tried, even if all of us tried, I don't know how much of a dent we could make. Well, that's just not true. Do you know most movements throughout human history started with just a handful of people? It was never like a mass. It was like a handful of people that said, hey, this isn't right. And then what happened is it starts to gain some momentum. And the other thing, and I don't know if you know this, almost every major movement in the world didn't start from the top. It started from the bottom. 
just ordinary people saying, you know what? The other thing to think about is this. I get that some of it's overwhelming. So I read this book a few years ago and this principle came out of it. And here's what the principle. It says, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. See, the temptation is not to do anything because it seems so overwhelming. But what I would argue is if you do for one what you wish you could do for everyone, you've at least helped one. And imagine if all of us did for the one what we wish we could do for everyone. Imagine how many more people are going to be impacted and helped and made their lives better. And then imagine we just keep doing that. Well, now I have time to do it for this one. And here's the thing. When somebody's helped you and blessed you in some of the ways that we're talking about, here's what you have to understand. That person will go help somebody else maybe. And all of a sudden, because I did for one what I wish I could do for everyone, there's a lot of good happening in the world. So how do we do this? Well, there's this great story um, in the Old Testament. Moses is called by God. And so what happens is the people need to be rescued because um, they've been enslaved. And there's all this darkness that comes with that and all this heartache and pain and all this. And so God says, I'm, I choose you, Moses. And Moses is like, I don't think you do. And so like, there's this back and forth. There's kind of this argument because Moses, I mean, he's already been in Egypt. He's got kicked out of Egypt. He's been a shepherd. He's got this stuttering problem. I mean, there's all these reasons. He just keeps giving God all of these excuses as to why he's not the guy. And God's like, I'm pretty sure I got it right. I'm God. And so eventually he convinces Moses that Moses is the guy. And, and so like he goes to him and he says, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go to Pharaoh and you're going to command him to let my people go. And Moses has this, even this line. He says, I am not a great man. And maybe that's how you feel. I'm not great. I don't know how to do this. And so God, he, he looks at him and he just says to him, well, what's in your hand? And what Moses was holding, because he's a shepherd, is he's holding his, his rod and he's holding his shepherding rod. And he says, it's a stick. And God's like, all right, it's just a stick. Throw it down. And he throws it down and God transforms that stick into a snake. Weird story. I get it. But here's the point. What's in your hands? That's the point like Moses is like on all these excuses and eventually God's like listen if you'll just give me your hands and what's in it I'll do something you don't have to do it remember the the, the loaves and the fishes there was nothing special about the rod there was nothing special about the loaves and the fishes it's what God could do with that if we were willing to give it and so the question for us is what's in your hands what opportunities are already there? I mean, some of your all's jobs, I mean, I don't know if you've ever thought about this because jobs are jobs and we kind of separate it from everything else. Some of you guys, every single day, because of your work, you have the ability and the opportunity to help countless people. You just do. And all it is is the shift in your thinking. Listen, we're not asking you to proselytize anybody. That's a weird word too, isn't it? We're not, we're not asking you to do that. What I'm asking you to do is to be salt and light. What was Jesus saying? If you shine your good deeds before man, they will see these good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. What gifts do you have? What talents do you have? What resources do you have? And I'm not just talking about money when I talk about resources. Your time and your presence is a resource, and it may be more important than any check that you could ever write to somebody. 
So what's in your hands? What opportunities do you have? Well, today we're, we're, we're going to do something. So um, we're not going to talk about being helpful if we're not going to give you a chance to be helpful. Don't you love that? And so a couple things are going to happen here at the end of the service. So a um, couple things. So first of all, I have to just brag on the first service. So you guys got to beat them. So one of the things that we did was we had Nathan coming in and all their great work that they're doing in Malawi. So we found out that there, you know, there's, there's these orphans that, that are there. And so there's about 160 of them, right? And so we had this plan, what we would do is we would create these Christmas ornaments with one of the actual children in this, in this area. And then on the back, we'd put like his QR code and then you could scan the QR code. There's a code that goes with it. You put it in. And for 30 bucks, you can make sure a kid that would not get Christmas and maybe many of them have never had a Christmas could actually have a Christmas. So not only be doing this amazing thing for these kids in the world, but also partnering with Nathan and Justy. And so we had 160 of them. And so we're like, well, that's a lot of them. So we partnered with another church. We took 80. They took 80. And the problem is first service was like, Jeremy's sermon was so good. We're going to take all of them, right? So they did. I'm just kidding about that part. But they did. They took all of them. So we have no more. So the problem is, what do I tell you guys to do? Well, they just told me they're building a pediatric hospital and they need some help with that. So what you can do is after the service, you can go down to the lobby. There's these little business cards with a little QR code and there's also a big thing they're gonna put out there. You can scan that and you can help them build a pediatric hospital for these same kids that we have these these ornaments for. So that's a way that you can help. Now, your temptation is to say, well, I don't have the resources. Well, here's what we were asking. We were asking for $30 for a kid to give them Christmas. It's not that much money. It really isn't, right? I mean, you know, yesterday we were cleaning out our basement and we took bags of toys upstairs that we're giving away or we're throwing away or if it was up to me, we'd just burn them because our kids don't even need them anymore. Listen, they don't need that extra thing this year. They don't need that sweater. So maybe you can help out and help make a difference in the life of one of these kids. Now we don't have the... (coughs) Ornaments, sorry, but you can help them build that hospital. So go down there and talk to them and find out ways you can help. All right, so there's that one. Second thing is we don't want to just help things globally. We like to help things locally. So there's these bags. So every year, you don't know this, but you should, uh, we feed every kid that needs a meal that feeds the Bullet Central School System. So elementary, middle school, and high school. We provide a Christmas meal, which includes a ham and all the sides and everything for every kid that every family resource center needs. And so what you can do is you can take one of these bags. There's a shopping list if you want to shop yourself on there and then $20 for the ham so they make sure and give them a, a good meal. Not spam, an actual ham, okay? And so uh, just want to clarify that. So you could do the shopping yourself. Or if you want, there's a QR code down there and we'll do the shopping for you to make sure that no family in this immediate area has to go Christmas Eve um, without a nice meal for their family. So those are ways that you can today actually be helpful. The reason I love the story that I opened with is because it's this idea of what would happen if every day there was somebody screaming at us, who are you and what are you doing? What kind of world are you investing in and what kind of person are you becoming? And here's the question, are you making it better? Are you being helpful? Are you being the light? Are you being the salt? Are you partnering with Jesus in his mission? So who are we? What are we doing here? 
Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth. God, I pray that nobody felt guilt today, but just, if anything, a conviction of, gosh, gosh, we have so many opportunities, so many chances to be helpful, to help people, to help people in need, to maybe even help some people in this room, to help people in our school, to help people at our workplaces. The opportunity is endless, and we just have to be available to it. <clears throat> So God, give us the wisdom, give us the strength, give us the mindset to go into at least this season, if not every day. How can we help? How can we make a, this world a better place? You are the light of the world that stepped down into the darkness. And now we're an extension of you as the body of Christ to light up this world, to light up the lives of so many people. So give us that strength, give us that wisdom, God. We love you, we thank you, we thank you for your grace that guides us every day. In your son's name we pray, amen.